how long has it been since you last interacted with something magical or, or spiritual or otherworldly? And you might say, man, that's a weird question to start out with, right? But, um, but for most of us, if we think back, it hasn't been that long. I'll share my own personal example. Last night, uh, I sat down with my family to watch uh, Disney Channel came out with like a, a continuation of the Tangled Rapunzel story and they had uh, like an hour-long cartoon that was on and so we watched that a little bit more than 12 hours ago and in the story, uh, as in every Disney story, right, there's, there's magic involved, right? Rapunzel touches this magical rock, it, it changes her hair back long again, all these crazy things happen and, um, and, and so, so for me, it's been less than 24 hours. You know, uh, think about like what television shows you watched yesterday. Uh, think about even in the commercials, uh, books that you read, things that you listen to. Uh, the reality is, is that uh, our our culture in in we're engulfed in magical ideas far more than we tend to realize. We kind of tend to uh, to think like, oh no, we're in a very Western culture. It's very rational and logical. And all of that is true. We, uh, we, we exist in a culture that is very scientific. We believe that there's a, a physical explanation for everything. And so if there's something that, that seems out of place or seems unusual, the general expectation is if we had enough scientific study, we could come up with a rational, scientific, physical explanation for whatever it is that we're experiencing. And so what that has done is it's taken everything that's spiritual out of the realm of our everyday life and it's pushed it off into fantasy and entertainment. And, uh, and there it's really flourishing, right? So think about, uh, just to, to name a few, right, like the whole Twilight saga of movies, right? The werewolves and the vampires. Uh, you've got the show The Magicians that's on TV. You've got the, the show Once Upon a Time that's on TV that, that picks up on all these, uh, these fairy tale stories and magic is a central thing there. Like I already said, every single Disney movie ever has magic in it, right? Like Moana just came out on DVD. It's all about, uh, you know, this magical rock and the, these magical powers and a demigod and and all these things, and, and it goes on and on. Even in our, our superhero movies, uh, there's magic interweaved in with it, right? And so in DC, they have the Enchantress, and, and, and you know, in the Avengers, there's uh, psychic powers, and there's, and there's otherworldly beings. Um, and it goes on and on and on. I don't, I don't want to bore you with it, but, um, you know, there's Lord of the Rings, there's the Chronicles of Narnia, there's Game of Thrones, so there's a new King Arthur movie coming out with Merlin the Magician, there's um, uh, an endless supply of horror movies. It seems like there's never a bad time in the schedule to release a, a horror movie, right? Like Valentine's Day, horror movie comes out, you know, Christmas Day, horror movie comes out. Uh, there's an endless string, and some of them are just bloody, gory, bad people doing bad things, but, but many of them in, include uh, occult, spiritual, uh, weird things. Um, and then, you know, if you go to the game uh, section in your, in, your, in your retail store, right, there's, uh, there's Ouija boards and there's, uh, there's, there's mind reading, there's magic eight balls uh, around this community, there's tarot card readers and psychics. And so, so there's really our, our, our culture, for one, that would say that we've moved beyond spiritual things and that most people would say, no, I don't really believe that's real. And yet our culture is just completely filled with it. And so what it's done is it's created this culture uh, where we say, well, that's not really real. People used to believe that, but we don't really believe that anymore. It's just pretend. So we can draw close to it. We can get up near it. We can, we can uh, use it as entertainment. We can have fun with it. We can just kind of uh, be right up next to it. And we don't have to be reverent or, or, or afraid, or we don't have to fear it at all because it can't hurt us. It's not real. And it creates a really dangerous scenario <laughs> uh, where, where the reality is, is there are spiritual forces at work 
and our guard gets let down and then we put ourselves in a position where we're opening ourselves up to all kinds of things that we don't want to get involved with. And so the question for us as Christians is how do I, how do I have a right approach to spiritual things in this world? What's the right approach for me as a follower of Jesus to think about, about these things? And, uh, and, and there's a temptation here to set up a lot of fences, right? And that's not my goal today. My goal is not to, to carve out for you what your corner of the yard should look like, right? Like, uh, you know, is this movie okay or not? Is this TV show okay or not? Is it okay to read Lord of the Rings? You know, all these things. You will, uh, based on your convictions, you'll make your own decisions about that uh, sort of thing. But my goal today is just to, to help you to begin to ask the questions like, Lord, what do you want out of me? What is right and proper? Instead of just kind of going with whatever, do I, do I, have I really put some thought into this? Am I, am I processing what I'm allowing into my life and what I'm engaging with? The passage that we're going to look at today, uh, the main idea that comes out of it is this, that, that supernatural spiritual power is a reality. And, and uh, there is good supernatural spiritual power that comes from God, and there is, there is evil supernatural spiritual power that comes from demons. And, uh, and we need to approach it in a way where we're not trying to manipulate or control this power, uh, but, but we allow God to use it as he sees fit and as he wills. And so just what you guys were hoping for on a morning where you slept in or, you know, you had to get up an extra hour early, right? And now we're like talking about demons at church, you know, freaked out. And, uh, but here's the reality is that, that we, we tend to avoid this. And, and as a church, I would say that this is not something you know, that this is not something that we talk about week in and week out all the time. And yet when you read the Gospels, you can't get away from how much, uh, Jesus, uh, how much of Jesus' ministry was casting out demons, right? How much time he spent dealing with spiritual forces. So our encouragement is to look for truth here in Scripture and figure out how to imply it uh, to our lives. Um, and so we begin in Acts chapter 19. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 11. Um, it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. And so we're going to stop there and just look at these, these couple of verses. This is a, a pretty amazing statement. Uh, and sometimes when we read the Bible, we just kind of read through, oh yeah, they were taking, but I mean, think about this, they were taking, Paul was doing whatever, he had an apron on, you know, he's a tent maker, maybe he's working with leather, he's doing whatever, he takes the, the apron off and somebody's like, <laughs> grabs it, right? And they're like, man, my uncle's really sick, so I'm going to take us to his house and I'm going to put this apron on him and it's going to heal him. And it did. <laughs> like, it's kind of amazing. There's, there's some bad theology in there. There's, there's, uh, there's, there's some weird stuff happening and yet the Bible records that this is exactly what was happening. And so there's a couple things that I want us to look at here. The first thing, though, the, the important question to ask is, where does this power come from? It's so important to, to understand, right? And, and, and Paul was doing these incredible things, and yet look what it says. It says, it wasn't Paul. It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, right? Whenever there's something miraculous that happens, whenever there's some sort of amazing spiritual thing, somebody gets healed, something amazing happens, it's always God who's doing it. Uh, the people that are, that are used in the process are just his tools. They're just instruments in his hand that are being used for that purpose. But, but the problem is, is that we see that people kind of want to claim uh, the, the power themselves, right? That, that people want to claim like, hey, I, I have the ability to heal you, right? None of us have the ability to heal anybody. 
God may choose to use us, and he may say, hey, I want you to go pray for that person and put your hands on them and, and pray for their healing, and he might choose to heal them. But you didn't heal them, right? God does the healing. The, the power comes from God, that, uh, and God did these things in Scripture. This should be incredibly encouraging to us, right? Because the same God that we worship today is the same God that did these amazing things at that time and still does these amazing things. Uh, I see Scott here. Scott works internationally with missions. He goes around the world, and, and he could tell you that in other cultures that are much more uh, open uh, to magic and, and different things like that, spiritual powers, that is not uncommon to have people say, like, yeah, I was, I was healed of this or I was healed of that, and, and that these sort of things can still happen. And so when we pray, when we're looking for healing for someone, when we, when we come into a situation where somebody is, is ill and we're praying for them, we always can pray with great confidence that God has the power to heal, that God has the power to do what we're asking. Now, we don't always know God's perfect plan. We don't know that in, in, in each case, whether it is God's will to supernaturally heal that person, to use the powers of doctors and medicine and, and modern science to in some way bring, uh, bring a treatment that is going to heal them, or it may not be his will to heal them. We don't know going into it, but we should always pray with a great confidence that God has the power to heal, that that supernatural power exists. And, and so we, uh, we miss the mark if we, if we say, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you, uh, but, you know, I don't really have any expectation that God's going to do anything. You know, I, I know I'm supposed to do that. I'm a Christian. I'll pray for you, but, man, it doesn't look good. I don't really expect much out of it. No, we should pray with great faith and expectation. And I look around the room and I see people that have, that have been healed of things, uh, some, some through medicine, uh, some through ways that are, that are a little bit harder to explain, right? And so, so we know that this happens, but that's where the, the power comes from. Now, now, the question is, in other situations, where is the power coming from? If you, if you walk into a psychic reader and, and uh, suddenly they're able to tell you things about your family and, and about you that, that there's just no way they could know, where does that power come from? I think there's, there's a couple options. One is that they, when, you, when they swiped your credit card, they looked up your name and they went on Facebook and they, and they did some quick research, right? And so in that place, you just got scammed, so that's not real desirable. But the, but the other option is that they do have access to a spiritual power, but it's, it's, it's a wicked spiritual power. It's an evil spiritual power. The question is, do you want to know what uh, a demon is going to communicate to you? Is that, is that something that you want to bring into your life? So I would encourage you... Um, to, to always ask that question, where is this power? There's a claim of power here. Where is that power coming from? And even in Christian ministries, if there's a claim of power, a power to heal, a power to do things, are they, are they saying that God is the one who's doing it, or are they claiming that they have a power in and of themselves? God really seems uh, in, in Scripture to, to hate and detest uh, anything that, that, that is magic or, or, or enchanting or, or any of these sort of things. And I think the reason is, is because magic is a way of manipulating spiritual power, right? It's, it's a way of saying, if I say this right phrase and I do this right thing in this right order, that I can cause this thing to happen. But God isn't a, he's not a genie in a bottle, right? He's not, he's not there for our wishes. Our goal should not be like, hey, can I figure out what the formula is that, that if, I, if I do this, then God will have to do what I'm commanding him to do. Um, and, and God doesn't want that kind of relationship with you. And in fact, he's not, he's not available for that sort of relationship. And so to pursue that would be, would be wrong and would miss the mark of what God wants for us. The other thing that's, that's just kind of amazing in this is that um, they have this imperfect faith, but it's placed in a perfect God, and it proves to be powerful, right? They said, man, I, if I grab that thing that Paul wiped his sweat off his face with, <laughs> I take that towel... 
They believed that that would bring healing, and, and amazingly, it brought healing. And this isn't without precedent in Scripture. Remember, in, when Jesus was, it was in his ministry, there was a woman that said, man, if I just go touch the hem of Jesus' garments, then I'll be healed. And she crept up behind him in this crowd, and, and she touched his, and, and Jesus said, who touched me? And his disciples were like, I think everybody's touching you right now, right? Like this crazy crowd, what do you mean, who touched you? And he's like, no, I felt power go for me. And he told her that her faith made her well. And this is good news and encouragement for us as well because nobody in here has perfect theology, right? Nobody has a perfect understanding of God. Nobody in this room perfectly understands his will and his desire and how to, to, to honor and revere him properly. And yet, despite our imperfection, God still honors our faith. And when we pray to him with faith, as imperfect as it may be, um, that, that there are times when he's going to honor that and he's going to heal now, our goal is to know him better and better and to know him well and to seek to know him because there's, a, there's also the warning that, um, uh, that we see at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right, where, where Jesus says there'll be those that say, hey, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these things? We healed people. We did this stuff. And he'll say what? Away from me. I never knew you. And so the goal is not to obtain spiritual power. The goal is to come to know God. That's the greatest miracle that we could experience, to know him well. And so the, the opening verses are encouraging here, but then they come with a warning shortly thereafter, picking up in verse 13. It says, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirits leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. So here we have these itinerant exorcists. They're, they're, they're essentially traveling exorcists, right? Going from town to town, being like, hey, you got anybody that's demon-possessed? We can cast that. It was, it was their job. What a weird job, right? Aren't you glad that that is not your job <laughs> that you have, right? That, that's, I'm not signing up for that one. And yet they took this and they heard, hey, there's this new name, Jesus. If you start using Jesus, that's, that's really going to work. That's effective. And so they, they try it out, but they were using it disconnected from a relationship with him. It's coming back to this idea of like, they think Jesus is the magic word. If I just say Jesus, the demon has to flee, right? But the demon says, hey, disconnected from a relationship, Jesus I know. <laughs> and I recognize Paul, but who are you? That's the question for us in, in, in a humbling way to kind of say, hey, disconnected from, from my connection with Jesus, who am I to think that I can command spiritual power? What makes me think that I'm in a position to be able to do something like that. The demon called him out. He called their bluff. He said, hey, you're using the name of Jesus, but you don't know who Jesus is. It's a scary story, right? I mean, can you imagine that scene, these guys fleeing from the house naked and, and bruised and bloodied and just running for their lives? And so the whole town saw this, and, and the result was that they all uh, were amazed, and they said, wow, there is power in this, this name of Jesus. The Jews, the Greeks, everybody was, was amazed, and, and there was a sense of reverence. As I already said, there's, you know, there's spiritual forces uh, that we just don't want to open ourselves up to. And there, there's a lot of ways uh, that you can do this. And, and, and so I would encourage you to, um, to be on guard with this. Uh, a lot of people have stories about messing around with 
with Ouija boards or, or different things like that or, or, you know, these party games where you do different things and I'm not going to say any of them because then you'll go look them up and try and do them and I'm not going to tell you, right? But, but you sense, you do something and you're like, wow, that was weird. How did that happen? What is that something? There was something going on there, right? And it's not something that we want to mess with. I have a, a, a good friend who, um, through, through drugs, uh, opened himself up to some, the influence of spiritual forces and he became like a different person. Uh, I mean, like literally for a season was a different person. And then uh, thanks to the Lord, just a few months ago, uh, essentially almost like woke up out of it. And, and he would tell you like, man, do not mess with that. Don't open up those doors. And so um, we have to respect, there, there, there's kind of this hierarchy that's presented here, right? It's like uh, the demon says, hey, Jesus, I have to answer to. I understand that. Paul, he's with Jesus. So I, I can't mess with him. But, but you, who are you, right? And so there's this level of respect to say, like, hey, listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be in fear of the evil spiritual forces. Jesus has defeated them. They recognize that he is victorious, uh, that the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so, so we can have a level of confidence because Jesus uh, is protecting us. But, but disconnected from Jesus, there's, uh, there's, there's much to fear in the spiritual realm. It's not something that, that we want to open ourselves up to. And so they were exposed to this. And the third thing that we see here in this passage is that there was a powerful response. Look at verse 18. It says, Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Uh, now, it's, 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 I think it's fascinating. In the passage right before this, it said that, that all the town heard about this, and the Jews and the Greeks, and everybody extolled the name of Jesus. Um, and, and it could say, and this probably did happen, uh, that there were those that were practicing, practicing the magic arts, and they realized the wrongness of their ways, and they came, and they, and they left it all behind, and they came to follow Jesus. And that probably was happening. But, but what this passage says is really interesting. It says that many of those who were now believers came. So these are people who had already placed their faith in Jesus. They were a part of the church. They were following him. And yet when they saw all this unfolding, all of a sudden they said, hey, wait, wait a minute. There's, there's still some stuff in my life that, that I need to get out. They were convicted of it. Now, I know you guys are going to run home and you're going to take your magic books and you're going to go burn them, right? <laughs> probably nobody in here has magic books. Maybe a few of you do. I don't know. I don't know all of you that well, right? But, um, but that's probably not a super relevant application specifically for us. But I would encourage you with this, that Every one of us, when we come to faith in Jesus, we're still a work in progress as far as, as becoming more and more like him and taking uh, sinful practices and patterns out of our life. Now, in the moment that we receive Jesus as, as our Savior, we're completely forgiven, and God views us as completely righteous because when he looks at us, he no longer sees our record of sin, but he sees Jesus' perfect record placed upon us. We're viewed as spotless uh, we're viewed as, as without sin. We're adopted as sons and daughters. It's the most amazing thing that could possibly happen to us. It's incredible. At, at the spiritual level, that's what's taken place. But, but in our lives, we're not physically in this moment made perfect here on earth, that we still have sin. We still have things that we uh, are working out, and this is called the process of sanctification, and the Holy Spirit enters in and begins to expose things in our heart that needs to be that need to be removed, and so it's like a it's like sanding down wood, right? It starts with a heavy grit, and you get kind of the the bigger things out. But then after you do that, you can still feel the bumps, and you go down to a finer and finer grit. And the the whole process of our life is is continuing to remove layers of sin. 
And it's a process we'll always go through. And so, um, so you may come in here, and magic books might not be your thing, but, uh, but maybe you, you have something in your life that you've been holding on to, and, and you haven't let go of it yet. You, you come to follow Jesus, you know it's wrong, you know you need to get it out of, out of your life. But like these people, maybe the cost looks a little too high. I think some of these people, they had these magic books, right? And, and then they came to follow Jesus, and they're like, well, I don't want to use that book anymore, uh, but I don't want to just give it away because I don't want it to go into somebody else's hands. And, uh, and I just can't bring myself to, to, to destroy it because I spent so much money on it, right? And, uh, and so it's just kind of hanging in there. And, and so for you, you know, maybe you're like, man, I know, I know Jesus has forgiven me, and so that means that I have to forgive this person. But, man, I'm just not ready to let go. The cost of forgiving them is too high. I'm just not ready to let go of that cost yet. Maybe God's trying to convict you that the cost of keeping it in your life is greater than the cost of letting it go. We see in here that I love that they, 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 they talk about this. They said that they counted up the value of the books and they found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, a piece of silver would have been a day's wage. So think about 50,000 days wages. And in modern economic terms, if you look at the average income in America, we're talking about millions of dollars, three to eight million dollars, right? This is an incredible cost. And yet I could argue that, that they could have said they added up the cost of them and they found that they were worthless, right? They found that the cost of keeping them in their life was greater than the cost of getting it out. And I would encourage you in the same way that if there's something that you've been carrying with you and that you, you've been unwilling to let go because of the cost, I just want to encourage you that the cost of keeping it is so much greater than the cost of, of letting it go. There was a lot of freedom that, that, that was found in this moment when these people were willing to confess this to bring it and to, to lay it down and to purge it out of your life. And so I would ask you today, are there things that you're carrying with you that, that you need to purge out? And I, I would also ask you related to this, this element of, of spiritual realm, are there things that you're engaging in? Like I said, I'm not going to tell you where to draw the fences, but, but you pray with the Lord. Say, God, uh, where, where do you want me to draw these lines? What, what, where am I crossing over into something that I just don't need to be exposing myself to? Uh, on, on Saturday nights, I used to, uh, in a really holy practice of getting ready for Sunday morning, I used to, to watch 48 Hours Murder Mysteries on, on Saturday night. Some of you guys watch these, right? Or Don't Watch Alone, right? And, and sometimes it's just, you know, it's just like really sad, like uh, stories of people doing horrible things. But, but there was a couple weeks in a row where I noticed that there was a real spiritual element to it. It would, it would involve like young kids and they were, uh, they were doing weird things, talking about hearing these voices and they, and they seemed to have different personalities. And there was just, there was just some really eerie elements to it that, that, that were really creepy. And I noticed that at that same time, my kids, who always sleep really well on Saturday night, were waking up and saying that they were having nightmares. And, and I just really felt this conviction like, man, I'm just... Why am I allowing this into my home? This is not something that I should be allowing into my home. And so I repented of that. Um, we quit watching it. I, uh, I went through a season where each night I would like pray over my kids after they went to sleep just to uh, ask God to protect them in their sleep, give them good dreams. And, and so uh, it was just a practical way of saying like, hey, I, I'm not saying you can't watch those shows, man. If, 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 if you have a clean conscience about that, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not trying to draw the line, but I'm just trying to share a practical example of um, intentionality of kind of saying, hey, the spiritual realm is a reality. There is spiritual power, and I want to handle it wisely. I want to handle it in a way that honors Jesus. I want to handle it in a way that's in keeping with what, what I see in Scripture. You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus always handled his spiritual power 
in such an amazing way. He never manipulated the world, but rather when, when he did a healing, when he healed a leper or healed a blind person, it was like he was wiping it away. It wasn't like he was breaking the laws of nature. He was actually restoring nature to the way it was meant to be. And, and he never used it for himself. When, when Satan came and said, hey, why don't you turn these rocks into bread? You're hungry, right? You can do that. Jesus said no, right? That Jesus refused to manipulate spiritual forces for his own gain. And so as we, as we think about spiritual power, we should ask God to exercise his spiritual power. We should want to see God heal people. We should want to see God do amazing things. Um, but we should entrust it into his hands. He's the only one wise enough to, to handle it. We should say, God, your will be done. You have the power to do whatever you want. And I'm praying this because this is what I desire. But your will be done because you know far better than I do. And take heart in the fact that as a follower of Jesus, you're already connected to the greatest spiritual miracle that could ever happen. When Jesus rose from the grave and your, your pardon was, was purchased, you were forgiven, you were redeemed, that is the most amazing spiritual miracle that could ever take place. Anything else pales in comparison. The, the, the blind men that, that Jesus healed, the lepers that Jesus healed, we don't know where they went from there. They may have been healed physically in this world, but if they didn't place their faith in Jesus, if they didn't trust in him, it was a temporary healing and it went away. The, the spiritual healing that we receive from Jesus raising from the grave is, is everlasting. It's eternal. So we should celebrate that as the greatest spiritual miracle we could ever connect with. Uh, I want to I share with you in closing some words from the book of Ephesians. And, and in Ephesians, uh, this is uh, the book that we use for uh, for discipleship, if you're beginning in discipleship here at Riverside, uh, this is the, the book that we turn to because it's an incredibly practical guide on how to live as a Christian. It's, it's very direct and it's practical and it tells you, hey, this is how you should love your spouse and this is how you should treat your neighbors and this is how you should treat your kids. And, and we really gravitate towards that. But, but at the very end of the book, after all this really practical instruction, Paul gives this reminder that we are in a spiritual battle. And here's what it says. It says, finally, this is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand it in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer, and supplication. I want to encourage you today that, um, that there is a spiritual element, there's a spiritual war that's going on, but we are not ill-equipped. That Jesus has given us everything we need uh, to defend ourselves, to be protected, to be secure, that we should have no reason to fear if we are under the protection of Jesus. But I want to encourage you, if you're here today, and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you that, uh, that, that there is a, a spiritual element to this world uh, that you should approach with great caution. And, and I, would, I, would, I would implore you to, to come to Jesus. He has defeated these things. Uh, and, and with Jesus, there is no reason to fear. Perfect love casts out fear. 